Oklahoma's core identity on offense has always been a run-first, power football team since Lincoln Riley has been calling the plays. OU's averaged well over 200 yards per game on the ground since 2015. So while this current Oklahoma offense with Jalen Hurts at the helm obviously looks different than the offenses ran by Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, the Sooners are still holding on to their basic principles in the run game. What Lincoln Riley has done this season, and particularly the last 10 quarters, is pretty remarkable. After hitting a rough patch at Kansas State and against Iowa State, and then witnessing a disaster of a first half on offense against Baylor, Riley has straightened out this Oklahoma offense. He settled on a new identity, and it looks like Riley has fully embraced the mindset of complementary football. You all know that Riley's talked about complementary football a lot before, After all, during the 2017 and 2018 seasons when the Sooners offense was breaking records for yards and points, the term complimentary football was coded language for, hey defense, would you mind getting a stop? Just one? Now in the 2019 season, Alex Grinch's presence has turned OU's defense into a pretty darn good unit. In fact, the Sooners are 26th in the nation in total defense. 26th! OU was 114th last year, 114th. The improvement on that side of the football has been blatantly obvious, despite some clunky performances in the middle of the season against K-State, Iowa State, and Baylor. But something's happened this year that we all assumed would happen. OU's offense is elite yet again, but not as elite as it had been with those two other guys playing quarterback. And turnovers have been a big problem. OU's given it away 16 times this year. The Sooners turned it over just 13 times in 2018 and 13 times in 2017. And remember, that was in 14 games. Complimentary football used to mean, hey, defense, play better. But now that the defense is playing better, OU's offense at times have not been holding up its end of the bargain when it comes to complimenting each other. Well, over the past 10 quarters, that's mostly changed, and it's because Lincoln Riley has figured out this team's true offensive identity has evolved as a coach, or both. Riley's strategy is pretty simple right now. Run the ball, control the line of scrimmage, move the chains, shorten the game, and put my defense in winning situations. Over the past 10 quarters, OU has held the football for 97 minutes. The Sooners have had possession for almost 65% of the time. OU's playing keep away, and it's working. Since the second half of the Baylor game, the Sooners have had 27 possessions. They've scored 11 touchdowns, kicked three field goals, and ran off the clock three times. That's 17 out of 27 drives that have ended in points or ended in a Sooners win. OU's averaged 6.2 yards per play during that time. Nowhere near the Sooners' season average for that number, but still the same amount of yards per play averaged this season by Texas and Georgia's offense. Meanwhile, the defense has been excellent since the second half of Baylor. 24 drives they've faced, just three touchdowns allowed, and four field goals. Seven scores given up, more field goals than touchdowns. I'll take that every day of the week. Even more positive, OU's forced 10 punts, seven of them on three and outs, five takeaways, should have been six, and two instances where the Sooners turned OSU over on downs last Saturday night in Stillwater. OU's offense is limiting the amount of opportunities for the Sooners' opponents, and when opposing teams do get the football, OU's defense is fresh 
and eager to get them off the field. Is this the way Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12 championship game and maybe even a college football playoff game if the Sooners get that opportunity? Only time will tell. But I will say this. Lincoln Riley's two previous playoff teams didn't have the ingredients to play this kind of true complimentary football. The 2019 Sooners have put themselves in position to come back from the dead. And I can't wait to see how it all plays out. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. On third and two, he's in the backfield with Brooks. It is Brooks straight ahead. Touchdown, Oklahoma. He carried the load on a 93-yard drive, and he gets the glory. Kennedy Brooks welcomes us into this edition of West of Everest. His three-yard run capped a 93-yard drive that gave the Sooners a 27-16 third-quarter lead over OSU Saturday night. Brooks was fantastic in the game, 22 carries, 160 yards, and that one score. OU wins Bedlam 34-16. Hey, everybody, once again, I am Lee Benson. A little later than usual because of the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, Think of this episode as the final part of your delicious Thanksgiving meal. You've waited all year for that delectable dessert that you only get on Thanksgiving, and your patience has finally paid off. And guess what? Grant's back for this episode after a two-podcast hiatus. Let's bring him in right now, not waste any time. Grant, you were in Las Vegas for uh, the last week or so. How much money did you end up winning? Negative hundreds of dollars. (laughs) Oh, great. Yeah, not a great, uh, from that perspective, not a great Vegas trip. But I was, I was telling my wife, though, that the last three times I had gone, I, I, I was probably up close to $1,000. So, you know. It, oh, wow. Like, I mean, total, total, not, not 1000 each trip. But, Still, that's really good. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. So it all evens out eventually. Like this time around, every single time we sat down at any sort of machine or table, we lost instantly. Like not even any sort of momentum was gained whatsoever. So... In terms of that, not a great trip, but always, always a great time when you go to Las Vegas, the greatest city on planet Earth. Of course, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm joking, but I sure do love that city. What was the vibe uh, like around? Oh, you, can't, you came back on Thanksgiving, right? Or did you, were you in town on Thanksgiving? I was in town, ta- uh, just Thanksgiving morning. It was, um, okay. but no, I mean, Thanksgiving dead. morning, it was, it was pretty dead. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Relative to Vegas, but... It was weird, and maybe maybe only you'll find this interesting, but this was uh, this was the ninth time I've been to Vegas since 2014, and this was by far the most families and children I have ever seen in Las Vegas. Uh, they were everywhere, and I'm assuming that had something to do with it being Thanksgiving week. But sure, yeah, but you wouldn't just, expect weird. families would want to spend their Thanksgiving in Las Vegas. So yeah, that is I thought interesting. I thought the exact same thing every single time I I passed one of like the families. I'm just like, what are you doing bringing your kids here? Uh, All right, here's the format I want to use for this show today. Since we had a little extra time to do this, by the way, just the Thanksgiving holiday, it it pushed it back. So I had a little more time, though, today to watch back the game. And candidly, on Saturday, for the first time in a while, I was not part of the media. I was actually just watching the game like all of you guys watched the game. I didn't go to the game. I was in Stillwater. So I was around all the festivities there, but ended up watching the game in a bar in Stillwater. And honestly, uh, the last like quarter and a half, I didn't get a chance to watch that close. I kind of glanced up every once in a while and saw that the score was still pretty 
you know, a two possession game. So I wasn't that concerned with the game. And so I, yeah, it was nice to see Oklahoma win, but then I got back and was able to rewatch. So now I have all my full thoughts put together. So I want to go through my entire list of notes. I don't know if you had time to go back and take notes of everything that happened, but the, the best way I think that I like to go through these games is to go straight chronologically through what I thought was interesting in the game. And I hope that you listening to the podcast kind of like that too, because it gives us a chance to go into extreme detail and we won't miss anything. I don't think so. Does that sound good to you? Are you yeah, willing to I mean, go I through just, that? I just did my rewatch within the last two hours. Everything's pretty fresh. Um, and for whatever reason, I was pretty uh, on Saturday night watching this game. I was pretty locked in. I was paying attention pretty, pretty heavily. So um, no, I, th- I think we'll have a Perfect. pretty good discussion here. Perfect. All right. So we're going to begin, go chron- chronologically through it, and then we'll touch on all the certain plays and, and happenings that we find important to talk about. And obviously, whatever else comes to our mind, we'll, we'll touch on there. And I also have some other just sidebar notes of things in case for some reason we do miss it during the, the, the rewatch discussion. So the first thing I have on my list, okay, Oklahoma gets the ball to start the game. And right off the bat, second play of the game, Nick Basquin caught my eye grant on a, a great catch near the sideline going up and taking a shot from behind and bringing it down for a first down and that was the beginning of what ended up being a a pretty stellar night for Nick Basquin and uh so that was the first thing I noticed in the game and so right off the bat he he made a play and again you know obviously we'll get to it later on he made a lot more plays second play so, of the game that was yeah great. Um, I mean it set the tone yeah also uh great throw Great throw by Jalen Hurts. Yeah, and it was uh, a night where it was very windy, and that's a big reason why, too, I didn't really look hard for tickets to the game because it was windy and pretty chilly, and I didn't have a ton of clothes. So I was thinking, you know what? Comfort-wise, I'd rather watch this indoors. And after the game, Lincoln Riley mentioned that the wind was certainly a factor. You could tell on TV the wind was a factor in the kicking game, in the throwing game, and – I saw some three-word reviews referencing Mike Gundy's hair and his mullet as the wind was whipping the mullet around. So you could tell the wind was pretty bad, and it was. Did you see any of the side-by-side uh, pictures of one Gundy with his with his majestic hair in the wind, and then with uh, Bill Murray from Kingpin on the side as Ernie <laughs> McCracken? I didn't see any from that game, but I have seen that bit before. And A plus, A plus. Whoever did that, and you could also do that with Dana Holgerson too. Because he's oh, got that's more, right. yeah. You know, yeah, his hair is very much like Bill Murray in that movie. All right, so the Nick Bassman thing happened on that same drive. I mean, Oklahoma went down and scored so easily. And I mean, Jalen Hurts ends it with a touchdown run. And what I noticed on that play, it was obviously a pass play, and Hurts scrambled and scored. And this Cowboys, they walked their middle safety, Trey Sterling, up near the line of scrimmage. They blitzed him. They went man across the board, and with Sterling out of the picture blitzing, there wasn't nobody there to account for Jalen Hurts. So that was a really easy scramble touchdown run and pretty risky about Oklahoma State not having anybody spying Jalen Hurts there. And right off the bat, it burns the Cowboys. And just like that, the Sooners are up 7 nothing. Grant. Yeah, and a perfect play call for the situation, too. Because I think on that play, I think Rambo was running a, uh, he was running a drag route across the middle of the field. And I think all Jalen Hurts does on that play is he just reads the defender on Rambo. If he stays in the zone in the middle, he'll he'll toss it over to Rambo. And if he follows Rambo, he just takes off. And that's exactly what happened. Here's the problem, though. Oklahoma State's counter drive was also pretty darn easy and made it 7-7. Seven to seven. And at that point, I was thinking, um, all right, not loving the fact that Drew Brown leading the, the Cowboys down the field pretty easily. I'm not a big fan of that because – 
Drew Brown, I think, is a, a pretty significant downgrade from Spencer Sanders. And after the first drive, it, it didn't necessarily th- seem like it was going to matter. But I think as the game played out, it certainly came. Uh, I, I think the idea of Drew Brown being a downgrade, I think, was certainly a, a factor the way the rest of the game played out. Yeah, and I thought I thought for for everything that Drew Brown does and like his skill set, I thought he played pretty well. Actually, mm-hmm. he I think yeah. he he played about as well as Oklahoma State could have expected him to play. Um, he was accurate throwing the ball pretty much all night um, for the most part. So um, yeah, he was he was fine. He was fine. It's just the problem with him. And there was just one time in the game where he was able to keep it on his own read. And he was looked really athletic when he hurdled Pat Fields. But other than that, he he doesn't he wasn't much of a threat running the ball. And I, that certainly affected the way Oklahoma defended Oklahoma State and what Oklahoma State could do offensively. And we saw that against West Virginia the week before. It's just Spencer Sanders running the football was such a threat defensively. And you don't have to account for it as much with Drew Brown. And I think that play, played out that way. It definitely did. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I mean, him, Spencer Sanders being out of that game absolutely played a, a very large factor. But yeah, I do agree that Brown, for the most part, did play pretty well. He played well. So, I mean, there were there, he he dropped some dimes. I mean, there on that uh, on that slot fade to Dylan Stoner when when DTY yeah. was on him, that was I mean, perfect throw, Great really throw. good throw. Mm-hmm. There were a couple timing routes that he hit perfectly, um, and 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 allowed Oklahoma State to to get you know yards after the catch and whatnot. But really, I mean, for the most part, Lee, when I was going back and rewatching, it seemed like, especially in the first half, the biggest the biggest problem for OU's defense was missed tackles. Uh, I didn't get that. I didn't. There was one massive missed tackle by Jaden Davis on, on a, that on, like the, a, a on the curl. the curl route. Yeah, but I'm I, talking. I, there were when, when there I was were multiple the times. Back, I, I didn't think missed tackles a whole lot. Oh, there were multiple times they had they touched Chuba Hubbard at the line of scrimmage and they couldn't bring him down. I mean that happened a lot all night. And of, hmm, of course, no. you give you, you give Chuba Hubbard credit because he's good. But I mean, just like touching him or gra- I mean, when you're not in, I mean that's not he's not going to be brought down by that. So I you know I now when I was watching the game back, I didn't think man they're tackling incredibly poorly. I I, I wouldn't say it was poor. I'm just saying it seemed like whenever Oklahoma State was getting chunk plays on the ground, which was not extremely often. It was because of missed tackles. That's what I'm saying. So after Oklahoma State made it 7-7, to Oklahoma gets the football back. And this is a pretty interesting play that I just it makes you scratch your head what Oklahoma State was doing defensively. So the Cowboys got the Sooners to 3rd and 12 on that next drive. And Oklahoma goes with the 3-by-1 set. And they split Ramondre Stevenson all the way wide to the field side. And he runs a 12-yard curl and catches this easy pass for a first down and the corner out there was AJ Green and I just don't know what he was doing out there the way he played it you would have thought Stevenson wasn't even there like he was a ghost and you know maybe he thought that there was no way that Jalen Hurts was going to make that throw all the way across the field because it, it was a long throw on a windy night across that field but Green was so far off the cushion was so far off that it still was a pretty darn easy throw for Jalen Hurts. One of the easier throws he's had probably all season. And that was such an easy third down and long conversion that Oklahoma State gave up. And the drive ended up leading to a 42-yard Gabe Burkich field goal to make it 10-7. to But uh, were you as surprised as I was whenever you're watching it live? You see Hurts throwing that that deep curl and you, you can't see anything on the screen until the ball gets there and you're like oh my gosh Ramondre Stevenson's first of all it's Ramondre Stevenson catching this and he's wide open where is the defense that was a bizarre play to me I was confused 
Yeah, on TV, I thought that he just like he he um I thought he overthrew Rambo or whoever was running kind of like the other route. Yeah, there it was. I screen. think it was Rambo there in the slot. And mm-hmm. then and then just all of a sudden Stevenson appeared and he was wide open and the the pass was right on the money. And I was just like, <laughs> like cool, okay, I, I'll is... take that all day long. Like, um, more Ramondre Stevenson, please. <laughs> yeah, he's he... just. Even, he didn't show himself again until late in the game after they were trying to just you know ice it away. Every time he touches the ball, he just looks like a different type of athlete than anyone else out there. So like they should maybe you know give him the ball more. <laughs> so it's ten seven in the first quarter. Oklahoma scores on its first two drives. So Oklahoma State gets the ball next. Trey Brown gets flagged for a pi. He goes to the bench. Jaden Davis comes in, and that's kind of the first sign we see, at least that I made note of, of Trey Brown, who who did not have the best night out there. Trey Brown's night was not great. Uh, a couple of plays later, though, first time we bring up Parnell Motley, and he strips Dylan Stoner. He recovers the fumble, and this was a play that was an example of something that the defense has been talking about since the spring, since Alex Grinch has gotten here, and something that they say they've been doing in practice but just has not been happening in the games, and that is you get one guy to the ball to try to get make the tackle and make the tackle. In this case, it was Brendan Radley-Hiles who showed some power taking on his blocker and then wrapping up Stone or keeping him upright. And then when you've got that player stood up, more Sooners come and take the ball away and – Parnell went in there, just ripped the ball out of Stoner's hands, took it away. It was a great play when the game was 10-7. to Oklahoma State, on its second possession, was moving the ball pretty darn well in plus territory, and Oklahoma's defense comes up with a huge stop there, a huge takeaway there. That Great, great play by Parnell, and, and assist there to Brendan Radley-Hiles, who was able to keep Stoner up. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Buki there, because I thought uh, he, he did a really nice job of taking on his blocker on that play, and he was physical, too. He knocked the guy backwards and kind of took him off his feet a little bit and then of course Motley coming in with uh with the nice play Lee was that um I don't want to say that was Parnell Motley's best game of his career because that's 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 just not true the best game of his career was in Columbus against Ohio State yeah um but that was definitely Parnell Motley's best game since that game he was great he was fantastic by the way big 12 defensive player of the week and he good okay I I hadn't seen that today so I'm really glad that that he was and um, I know I know Josh from Sooner Scoop was was talking about this during the game, um, and I just wanted to bring it up as well. Parnell Motley absolutely should be uh, a first teamer on the All Big Twelve team. He he has he has certainly in my in my mind been one of the better corners in the league this year. And uh, mentioned Parnell Motley first of uh, you know first kind of big play of a nice night for him. And you mentioned you know we mentioned Brendan Bradley House too first time. We mentioned him, and I thought he played really well as well. And here's my uh, here's what I will here's what I will say right here. If we get another good game, and and it's just it stands out, and I'm I'm impressed, I'm happy with it from Brendan Radley Hiles in the Big Twelve title game. That might be all I need to see to to finally to go back to to his nickname, to graduate to the nickname again because I thought he played the best game of uh, of the season. On Saturday, he was really good in, in that game all the way around, not just in coverage, but also he did a good job coming up and making tackles and, and wrapping up people. So just want to throw that one out there. It's close. It's close for me to, to upgrade to the nickname again. And I also want to uh, to throw something out there that yeah, you, you may disagree with, others may disagree with, but Buki quietly has had a really nice season. 
He's been pretty good this year. I think a lot of it is relative to the expectation, and we're comparing it a lot to last year. And sure, yeah, he he's been fine. He's been good. He he's certainly in a in a defense that Alice Grinch has shown no problems putting people on the bench if you're not performing. Uh, he has certainly kept his job for the most part all season long. He it's has not, not like, been. Yeah, he's not been dominant. Yeah. He's had he's had some glitches, of course, but he's he's had a nice season. I mean, he's he's played well. He's he's really good in coverage, which is what we all kind of knew and expected. All right, so Oklahoma gets that takeaway there, gets the football back, and uh, the notes I have on this this next drive can i bring something up just real quickly because i'm just i'm looking at the the um the drive chart here Mm -hmm. that uh the um the drive where where the sooners got a field goal the burkish 42 yarder that was a 12 play 49 yard drive that took up a little over six minutes that is just like that's that is not the oklahoma football we have we have grown accustomed to seeing isn't that crazy well, that's a big part of what my opening take was about, and I know you read it a little bit, and I don't know, maybe we could spend some time giving you, getting your thoughts on that because that this is what I've seen the last... Let's break it down to 10 quarters. Because let's talk about how, it after we get through the chronological stuff because okay. I do have... Um, I, 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 I want to kind of bring it all together just with what I've... What I've um, sort of what I've looked at the last couple weeks, and I, I just I came to an epiphany, and I, and I want to just talk about that at the end of... Uh, when we're wrapping up the game, basically. Okay, so Parnell Motley gets the takeaway. Oklahoma gets the football back. I made note of the this 29-yard play from Jalen Hurts to Lee Morris, and it was a nice read by Hurts. And it also, it wasn't great coverage by OU, uh, OSU safety Colby Harvell Peel. He was playing the middle part of the cover three back there. Uh, he, I don't know what he he was. He was shading to the the wrong side as Lamb was running the deep over route and Hertz recognized it and made a good throw. So that was the big explosive play of that drive. And then that led to the first play of the second quarter grant where you get the, the nice trick play. You get CD lamb pitching it to Nick Basquin to Jalen Hurts for the touchdown pass. And you got to give a credit credit to Basquin. He has a great throw. Um, and I got to get that play. Obviously, it's a, it's a really interesting, fun play call. It's a hell of a man beater when you're down by the goal line like that, because once the quarterback gives the ball up, ain't nobody accounting for him in man to man coverage. And so that's where he's going to easily just squirt out there. If it's man to man, which Oklahoma State was playing, he's going to be wide open. And Basquiat made a good job of just getting rid of it and put it right on the money. And just like that, it's 17-7. to 7, Oklahoma turns that motley takeaway into seven points. Hey, I really underrated play by Nick Basquin and CeeDee Lamb not panicking there. Because <laughs> Oklahoma State almost blew that play up numerous times. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, just so just a nice play by by Basquin just being calm and just, yep, just flipping it to, to Hurts, no problem. So... Um, I like that play. That play is really difficult to to defend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they showed the the replay later of Nick Basquin doing that that hip thing where he's moving his hips and stuff. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> I don't even know what the whole Dak. Did you see that with Dak? He was like mimicking the Dak yeah, Prescott thing. That was like like a meme a couple of weeks ago. That's, that's a, funny. To me. I, that's I a, that's, that's a thing now. That's a thing. That's another yeah. another instance of the internet bleeding over into real life, uh, which is something that. Which is something that my wife and I we noticed when we were in Las Vegas. Everywhere we looked, we just saw people just taking selfies for Instagram. 
mm-hmm. and uh, like boyfriends taking pictures for girlfriends just to pl- post on Instagram and thinking, geez, man, this is this is just the internet in real life. I don't know how I feel about it. All right, well, let's spend the next 15 to 20 minutes going in depth about how we feel about this, though, starting with just kidding. Uh, <laughs> all right, so Oklahoma gets seven points. Off. I mean, they, they turn a takeaway into a touchdown. I mean, that's obviously huge. Very few takeaways this season. Oklahoma not only gets one against Oklahoma State, but the offense does its part, goes down, scores a touchdown. Oklahoma State gets the football back. And this is a pretty interesting point in the game. Parnell Motley shows up yet again, and he picks off Drew Brown early on in the second quarter, goes to replay review, and it's overturned. It's They say that Motley's heel was out of bounds, and I got a feeling that you're the same as me, probably the same as a lot of Oklahoma fans. I mean, I, I went into this. I mean, I watched it live in the bar because the first half I was pretty engaged. Our, our sister and I, we were watching, and, you know, pretty big TVs. It, it looked like, to me, like he was in – and there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it. And, you know, they had the audio on of the TV, so we actually hear the announcers say it too. And so whenever they came back and, and overturned it, I was surprised, but then I thought, oh, you know what? You know, it, I'm, I'm here. I'm not fully engaged in the game. Maybe there's – I'm not seeing it right, so, you know, whatever. I go back and rewatch it, and I, this was a, a really horrible overturn. I mean, that angle from above the sideline I thought was the best angle, and it didn't look like any part of Motley's foot ever hit the white line, and he did a great job of catching the ball and then tiptoeing down the sideline to avoid the white line. And again, everybody on the broadcast thought it should have been upheld, yet they see something totally different on the field. And when plays like this happen, I'm baffled. What did you think about it? You're not... You're you're gonna be pretty surprised to hear this, but I have I have pretty strong feelings about this. Okay. No, I mean that was an awful, awful overturn. I don't um, unless unless there was some sort of camera angle that we were not we were not seeing or we were not privy to. I don't understand what they were seeing there. I thought this is just me looking at it. I thought you were it was closer to confirming the call of an interception on the field than overturning it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can. I just don't understand that one, especially because if you're going to overturn a call, you have to have indisputable evidence that he stepped on the line, and that most certainly did not exist on that replay. Yeah, so, I just I was trying to see it. I was looking for it. I was trying to give him benefit of the doubt, but every time I watched it back, I just did not see it. I did not see his heel or – I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I thought I, the, the first few times I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, they're going to confirm that. He was definitely in. Um, it would have been one thing if maybe they would have said he – his heel had stepped out of bounds and then he didn't he didn't establish himself in bounds and he was the first to touch the ball like because he kind of like you know you could maybe make the argument that maybe he was like overhead like he had his heel before he touched the ball like kind of over but then he moved it back in ba- but that wasn't the ruling it was just when he caught the ball or when he when he touched the football his heel was on the line it's like no it wasn't yeah and so in order to overturn that call correct you have to have a a crystal clear shot of his foot actually on the line correct and anyone who watched that game knows that no shot existed like that at all and so that's that's uh, the big 12 needs an explanation for that one that's uh Mm -hmm. that's one that they they absolutely got wrong there needs to be an explanation for that i guess i don't know i'm sure they asked riley today in the press conference um but i admit i have not listened to lincoln riley's monday press yet i just have a a note a note or two from it but i have not actually listened to the whole thing thing of it so, so i don't know yeah if he was asked about that i don't know what the answer yeah. was you know listen game's over the sooners they won they won by 18 they won convincingly 
That was not a game that that Oklahoma State was particularly competitive for the most part. Having that been said, when we're when we're in this game right now of perception and and style points and whatnot, OU was was going to score after that, and it was going to be twenty four to seven. I mean, game the game is over at that point in time, in all likelihood. And it's just stuff like that's really frustrating because Oklahoma State got back in the game after that, mm-hmm. and that was an incorrect call. And the Big Twelve needs to answer for that. Man, man, that was poor. I mean, yeah, like you said, I mean, Oklahoma's up ten at that point. They're getting the ball back in plus territory, and and so Dean Blandino the on the broadcast, you, you heard him say that, and he just he was kind of exasperated. He said, "You know, I replay is there to overturn obvious incorrect calls," and he was like, "I just I don't I don't understand what they were seeing there." And and then yeah, and and I really like Dean Blandino. He ended it by saying, "Well, but they made the call," and but honestly, if I'm Lincoln Riley, I can't accept that. That's that's a, that's a call they blatantly got incorrect, and they need to have an explanation for it. So Oklahoma State maintains possession of the football, and I can't remember if it was the the next play or two plays later. It might have been the next play, but Radley Hiles makes a touchdown saving tackle on Chuba Hubbard coming up in the hole and wrapping him up and bringing him down, and it. Bradley Howells misses that tackle. Chuba scores, and just like that, it's it's what is it? It's seventeen to ten, or no? What was the score at the time? It was at seventeen fourteen. It's a three point game. So credit to him for making that. I don't know if you made a note of that or remember that play. Uh, but then I think it was the next play too. He comes in and he strips Chuba and knocks the ball behind the line of scrimmage, and they he's able to recover it. Uh, Oklahoma State. But that forces a loss of five yards. So even though he wasn't able to bring Hubbard down, he was able to get his arm in there and, and, and swat at the football. So just notice plays like that. that. Uh, notice that mm-hmm. things are starting to even out. The fumble luck is kind of starting to come. Teams are starting to fumble against OU. It's gonna. That's what I keep kind of trying to tell myself. It's like, geez, man, maybe they'll just get just an insane amount of those things here down the stretch, and they'll just get really lucky or something. Man, um, maybe. But I mean, that's what what they had. They had four opportunities in that game for takeaways, right? And um, so there was that that fumble. So yeah, I don't think was there another. I think he might have fumbled again. Well, so but recovered. They did. I'll, yeah, I'll there were there were fumbles. Notes, yeah. So yeah, and so it's uh it's 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 gonna start turning around hopefully, and we're at the end of the season now. So you know it, it's gonna have to happen quickly. But that's a game where OU should have had you know, absolutely they should have had the the um. They should have the, had the two, three the, total, if not yes. maybe even four. Because, yeah, because Motley had two interceptions in that game. So, um, yeah, I, I thought the defense from that perspective, I, I thought they were good. I thought on the rewatch, Lee, and I, and I know we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, I thought the defense actually in the, in the first half didn't really play that well um, in terms of stopping the run. I thought there were some instances up the middle that that uh, that Chuba had a little, little too much success. Um, like I said, the missed tackles earlier – um, although I will give them credit, obviously, for for bowing their necks and getting stops deep in their own territory, which has certainly not been a thing they've done this year at all. Um, but then, of course, in the second half, I thought they were really good for the most part. And Alex Grinch, after the game, just mentioned that when it comes to Chuba Hubbard, you just got to kind of weather the storm. And he compared Chuba Hubbard last week before the game to Christian McCaffrey, because obviously he used to coach at Washington State. And That's absurd. That, those are kind of, that's not Christian McCaffrey is so much better than Chuba Hubbard as a college player and and right now 
I don't think it's that absurd at all. I, I, I think Chuba Hubbard is incre- incredibly like he has all the same kind of attributes that Christian Haffrey, Ka- Christian McCaffrey possesses, but he wasn't necessarily comparing them like right now. He just means in terms of like a college elite type running back that you just have to figure out a way to stop. Yeah, I, I from, suppose from but his I, perspective when he was coaching at Washington State, that was the kind of guy that they had to face. Yeah, that's when fine. McCaffrey was at Stanford. Chris McCaffrey, much better college player than Chuba Hubbard. Like, guy, the guy should have won the Heisman Trophy. He was the best player in, in college football in in 2015. The guy was awesome. <laughs> he was. I agree. He should have won the Heisman. Uh, first time bringing up one of the rush linebackers, David Obwebu, on that drive. He did a nice job of setting the edge and snuffing out a reverse and got a. a a five-yard TFL after Oklahoma State had picked up a first down. And that led to a, a third and long opportunity. And Oklahoma got away with one a little bit, in my opinion. I thought Trey Brown got away with maybe a bit of a hole, a P.I. against Dylan Stoner on third down. And I think it was a kind of a classic example of you know playing that aggressive style of football, seeing if the officials will call it. And it seemed like Oklahoma got flagged for this kind of stuff all the time last season. It hadn't happened as much this year, it seems like. You know, maybe it's because of the perception of of Oklahoma is just different this year. They're they're not assumed to be just an atrocious defense in pass coverage. I, you know, maybe I'm looking too much far into it because I think later in the game too, or maybe it was earlier. Trey Brown was called for PI, so I mean maybe just kind of evened out. He I was don't called know, for but. two, and there was another one. I'm assuming the one you're referencing. Yeah, the the one on Stoner. He, it was it was by the book. It was PI, yeah. but um. It's one of those things that's so bang bang when you actually watch it in real motion. Yeah, so I think Oklahoma got away with it a little bit and held uh, Oklahoma State to a field goal. Uh, granted, though, Oklahoma State retained the possession of the football when they probably shouldn't have on that interception. So Oklahoma State gets the field goal. Amendola, I mean, two really good kickers in that game, Burkich and Amendola. Those guys are, I mean, obviously Burkich hasn't missed a kick. Amendola's, I think he had maybe one kind of poor game this year, but he's, he's pretty reliable for Oklahoma State, and he has been last couple of years and then that win that's tough so it was 17 to 10 and speaking of Burkich next time Oklahoma gets the football they go down kick a field goal in the red zone there was a there was it was like a, a long a long drive you know chunk plays running the football the CD Lamb kind of had his first big explosive play early his only big explosive catch and run of the game I uh, had Charleston Rambo out blocking for him obviously you want to get touchdowns though when you get into the red zone but Oklahoma getting points yet again. That's four straight uh, four straight drives to start the game. Oklahoma gets points and Oklahoma leads once again by two scores, twenty to ten. Anything from that drive that stood out to you that you remember? No, I think I, the one I remember is just I, I hated the, the the third down play call down there at the. I'm not yeah, sure what they was... were trying to do there, and and also there was mm-hmm. over the course of that game watching it, whenever they were in short yardage and they didn't run the ball, I got a little irritated. Um, that was one of those games where they just Oklahoma State was just not stopping OU on the ground, um, and like I, I think I told you before the podcast, if OU would have ran the ball on every single play in that game, they would have scored every drive. Maybe unclear. And I know, I mean, but still, like, but also, I also told you whenever, whenever OU, whenever OU just ran a a traditional run play, Lee. They did. They were not stopped for no gain or a loss of yardage until the very last drive of the game, and it was Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, that's they that's gained big they, time right there. They gained at least two yards on every other traditional run play. Yeah, and Oklahoma State came into that game. Talked about it on the last podcast, the preview podcast. Second in the Big Twelve and stopping the run. 
and made the point that TCU came into its game against Oklahoma number one in the Big 12 against the run. And then after playing the Sooners, TCU dropped back to fourth. Well, now Oklahoma State, after facing Oklahoma, dropped back to sixth in the Big 12. I figured Oklahoma would be able to run the ball, especially against that three-man front. Oklahoma State likes to play a lot. And man, if I'm... I was going to bring this up later later in the notes, so I'll bring it up now because it's all on top of my head. If I'm an Oklahoma State fan for a lot of that game, I'm pulling my hair out because it seemed like over and over and over again, Oklahoma State just failed to set any kind of edge. And Oklahoma was able to use that GT counter play and get so many yards from it with Kennedy Brooks. Hey, you know who I... uh, They they never adjusted really to it. You know who I noticed on my rewatch who had a really good game, like downright dominant... R.J. Proctor. Proctor. He was out he, in front, leading was, a lot. He was the best offensive lineman on Saturday night. He's the most he athletic I've seen him this year. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, yeah, hats off too. to him. I, I, I've i shown a lot of skepticism with him this year. That, I mean, he looked great on Saturday night. I mean, if he can if he can kind of round into form here and end his career playing like that, oh, man, OU might be able to run it on anybody if he's playing like that. So after Oklahoma was able to score for the fourth straight time, the next drive for Oklahoma State was that drive where Drew Brown had his best throw of the night, that third down and four slot fade to Stoner. And yeah, I mean, DTY didn't have much of a chance on that. I mean, that was just a, a perfect throw. Gets the ball into the red zone. One underrated big play near the end of this drive, and it's towards the end of, end of the second quarter. I think it was Jordan McRae, the wide receiver, he makes a catch near the goal line, and Kenneth Murray wraps him up, brings him down immediately just short of the goal line, I think maybe at the one or the two-yard line. And Oklahoma State then would false start and back him up, and so it was third and goal, I think, from the seven, so I think it was a two. But, you know, Murray doesn't wrap him up there and bring him down. I mean, that's a touchdown. Murray saves the touchdown there, and on third and goal, they run the ball with Chuba Hubbard, and Ronnie Perkins gets off of his block, stops Hubbard for no gain, forces another field goal, and makes it 20-13 to 13 before halftime. And so that meant that Oklahoma held Oklahoma State to field goals in the red zone twice in the first half. So good on Kenneth Murray for making that play on the pass play, and then also a nice job by Ronnie Perkins getting off the block and, and getting the tackle on Hubbard. Anything stand out to you from that drive? Yeah, just, you know, I, I think at times we, we really see Kenneth Murray's athleticism and his, and his talent just flash. Um, and a lot of the times it's when it's when he's in space and he doesn't really have to go through a bunch of garbage. And like I said, on that one where he got McCray, he just kind of ragdolled McCray to the ground. And McCray's a big dude. And oh, yeah. so he's huge. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's just that that really stood out to me. Kenneth Murray is so impressive physically. And um and I only I only just say it now because earlier in the game there were times when, when Chuba was able to get some chunks in between the tackles. And pretty much every time it was Kenneth Murray being uh, being confused and not attacking the right the right gap, but man, when he's when he doesn't have to think and he's out in space, oh my gosh, they they gotta they gotta come up with some sort of way to to get that guy out of the box. And I know how crazy that sounds, but I mean he's he, he's really good when he could just chase people down. Yeah, he seemed to have an up and down game to me. He made some nice plays. He also did kind of look lost sometimes with his run fits. But I mean that's your typical. And that's what Kenneth Murray's going to do for you. He he's he'll be a little inconsistent, inconsistent here and there, but he will make you some nice plays. And and there was I, a I think play I have him in my notes later on in the game too. On third, uh, made some other nice plays in the third quarter near down near the goal line when he snuffed out the screen pass. Oh yeah, I mean, great play. One of the best plays he's made all year, and he just kind of made it look easy. 
So that's that's where you want Kenneth Murray. You want, you want him chasing people down. You don't want him in the box trying to decipher what, what hole the running back is is, is going to hit. He's not very good at that. And, and I think that's there's a lot of tape out on that now, and I, that's very widely known. Mm-hmm. So Oklahoma goes into the half up by a touchdown. Oklahoma State gets the ball to start the third quarter. And once again, we have Chuba Hubbard getting stripped of the football, Parnell Motley getting the strip early on in the third quarter, first drive of the third quarter, but Oklahoma State recovers that one. So Oklahoma, I mean, got the ball out of Chuba Hubbard's hands twice, and I don't think he's had much of a problem fumbling from what I can tell, but I mean, against Oklahoma, it's a problem. I mean, he had the huge fumble last year in Bedlam that set Oklahoma up uh, whenever the ball just was ripped out of his hands. So I don't know, you know, kind of a small sample size. It's probably the last game Chuba will play against OSU because I'd be shocked if he wasn't in the draft next year. Or, you know, it uh, was probably just a fluke because a vast majority of fumbles are. (laughs) So on that drive, this was a three and out by Oklahoma. On third and four, Jaden Davis, fantastic PBU on the slant pass from Brown to Braden Johnson. And it was just a nice job of him reading the route, getting in front, timing it up, and knocking the ball away. And as we'll get to here in a little bit, basically Davis was the opposite on a later play. But for there, that was a great job going three and out or forcing a three and out. But Oklahoma's offense wasn't able to do anything with it. So Oklahoma State got the ball back. And that's whatever drew Brown to that sweet zone read keeper where you hurdled, hurdled Pat Fields, <laughs> which is like, whoa. That's a nice play. And then uh, we talked about, I think, you know, start of the podcast, the big missed tackle where uh, it was a curl route to Johnson and uh, Davis came in, just he whiffed on the tackle. I mean, wasn't the easiest play, but he missed a tackle and that allowed Johnson to uh, a big time explosive play, got to the 13 yard line. And just like that, Oklahoma State's down a touchdown in the red zone, Grant. Uh, They're it up, just, it, up a touchdown. Yeah, Oklahoma State's down a touchdown. Oh yeah, in the red zone. And then Sorry that very next play, Lee was was the aforementioned Kenneth Murray snuff out. Yes, yeah, and it's just I mean, Stoner motioned towards the formation or you know towards the quarterback, and then immediately stopped and went back the other way, and the pop pass went to him, and yeah, Murray just beelined right for Stoner, just blew the entire play up, and then make the tackle too, and it was a TFL. And the corner, whichever corner was on that side too, did a really good job of setting the edge as well to force him back inside. But uh, but Murray Murray uh, had a blocker in front of him, and Murray just kind of just shoved him out of the way and mm-hmm. and pull and just pulled down Stoner, like yeah, Stoner like just stopped in his tracks once once Murray touched him. You know, and then on second down and eleven, the next play was and also a huge play because Oklahoma State tried setting up a boundary screen to the weak side of the formation to Jelani Woods, a tight end. And Oklahoma, uh, OU just, the defense just, it forced Brown to, to dirt it, throw it in the dirt. I mean, it, was, it wasn't there at all. Benito. I mean, they read it perfectly. Benito, mm-hmm. Benito read it instantly. Mm-hmm. He was keeping contain on the read because, it, there, was a, because there was a play action fake um, attached to the play. He was yeah, keeping and- contain on the read. And then as soon as that tight end started to leak out, Benito just followed him. Did a great Great job. awareness, and it's exactly what he needed to do and was supposed to because Woods was the only eligible receiver on that side of the formation. So there's no reason for him to not be out there paying attention to Jelani Woods, and he did exactly what his job was supposed to be and forced an incomplete pass, third and 11, third and long, exactly what we want to you know, get him off the field. Brown just checked down. Oklahoma forces another red zone field goal. So it's the third time in the game where OU held Oklahoma State to a field goal in the red zone. 
And that was early, midway through third quarter, and that'd be the final time Oklahoma State would score points in the game, Grant. So, all right, it's, it's a it's a close game though. It's twenty to sixteen, and this is the part in my notes where I say, "Listen, Oklahoma State's defense has no answer for the GT counterplay." <laughs> just this was nothing. this really was the part of the game where I was just kind of exasperated because I in my in my mind I'm thinking this is just playing out so much like the other games where when I watch it on a play by play basis. OU is just a lot better than the team they're playing, but it just doesn't look like it on the scoreboard. And um, I, I just, yeah, I, I was confused. I, I just, up to that point in time, I thought OU's offense had just had dominated. And, and I, I couldn't believe it was only a four-point game. <laughs> so Oklahoma State was doing a nice job of staying in the game. It's the second series of the second half for Oklahoma. And this was the big one. This was the 11-play 93-yard drive that culminated in Kennedy Brooks's touchdown that you heard in the intro today. And a huge play in this series happened with about eight minutes to go in the third quarter. It was third down and short. And Oklahoma State rushes three, drops eight. And the Cowboys don't have just one, but they have two players spying Jalen Hurts saying, you know what, no, we are not going to let this guy get out of the pocket and beat us with his legs. We're going to spy him with two guys. But unlike last week against TCU, Oklahoma State just could not get to Jalen Hurts with three rushers. TCU had a pretty decent amount of success with three rushers getting to Hurts and kind of forcing him to do something before he wanted to, but there was tons of time to throw. Finally, Hurts was like, okay, there's no one to go to. I'm going to run, and even with two spies, Oklahoma State couldn't bring him down before the first down, and Marquise Hayes kind of provided a a door-type screen to – allow Hertz to to lunge forward for the last couple of yards to get the first down that moved the chains and that was a huge play obviously because it kept things going and Oklahoma was able to get a explosive play then to Jeremiah Hall to get into plus territory and then they got back rolling again Grant but did that third then three play did that stand out to you at all yeah it was just a good play by Hertz um which Riley just would have given it to Kennedy Brooks on that play <laughs> I think yeah. I I, I honestly in that game there was there really was no reason to drop back and pass at all. That was really one of the more I mean that game was like watching Wisconsin against a, a Mac team. That's what it looked oh. like. <laughs> okay. Uh so yeah, Jeremiah Hall explosive play. Same kind of idea as that Lee Morris play against CCU last week where they schemed open Jeremiah Hall kind of get him blocking at the snap and then you drag him out into space after everybody's kind of forgotten that he's an eligible receiver. Man, Lamb then, was wide open like 25 yards downfield on that play too. Oh, I didn't notice that. Later in the drive, Kennedy Brooks had a, another easy 15 yards in the GT counter uh, before a couple of plays later, or maybe the next play, I can't remember. He capped it off with that short touchdown run to make it 27-16. 93 yards for Oklahoma on the drive. And it went for six minutes and 19 seconds. And good stuff. Good stuff by Oklahoma on that drive. Makes it 27-16. Oklahoma State down by 11, gets the football back. We see another pass interference called again against Trey Brown. This one, I don't think he did a whole lot. This one probably should not have been called. So I guess maybe it was a makeup call. You could maybe say from earlier on Stoner. Well, no, the... uh, the the drive started actually with two straight penalties because they called a face mask on DTY. The yeah, first, I didn't put that in my notes. Yeah, and it wasn't. But. There was no video of it. They didn't. The cameras didn't catch it at all. So I have no mm-hmm. idea. And then yeah, and then there was another PI on, on Trey Brown, and it was. I mean, it was pass interference. 
Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I didn't think that was that big of. I, you know, I didn't think he did much on that one. But uh, so yeah, not the greatest night for him. Uh, Radley Hiles on second down, slot or a slot fade against Landon Wolf, I believe it was. Great coverage. Great coverage. Erasing that play had no chance. So that forced a third down and six. And that's this is the first time all night and the only time all night I think where they kind of Oklahoma State that is shifted to a wildcat and ran Chuba out of the wild out of the wildcat. And he only picks up three. Kenneth Murray made a nice tackle on him. And that set up a fourth down and three. And this was a great team defense effort on this fourth down and three because I thought everybody just did their job perfectly. And it all started with an aggressive play call by Alex Grinch on fourth down and short. He had Pat Fields. I don't know if his responsibility was to blitz, but that's essentially what he did. If maybe his... You know, he had a man, or maybe he had Chuba, so he was like, I'm just going to – Chuba's back there. I'm going to go in there and try to blow up the play, and he did. He got in the face of Drew Brown. Then you see David Ogwebu. He sees that tight end moving to the flat, follows him out. Kenneth Murray also notices that too. This play on fourth and three had absolutely no chance at all. Incomplete turnover on downs in the red zone there, I believe, for Oklahoma's defense getting him off the field there. Uh, just a, a great defensive play. Uh, it was such a well-timed blitz by Fields too, and yeah. I just I'm so right upset. On the snap, he was and, like in uh, he was Drew Brown's face. Freaking Chuba Hubbard made, of course, made an awesome block on him. I that that pissed me off because I mean Fields would have gotten Brown if 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 Hubbard would have missed him for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, yeah, with the Guaybu, and I think maybe I think Caleb Kelly was running after Drew Brown as well. As after, Mur- uh, yeah, he was kind of in there. Murray was helping out a Guaybu there yeah i mean caleb kelly was yeah i think he was running there as well too yeah i think i think uh, caleb kelly was keeping contain on brown and running him down but yeah like you said all in all a perfect defensive play by ou where everyone was in was doing their jobs perfectly it's 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 nice to see isn't it it really is because we haven't seen a whole lot of that in the last handful of years it's oklahoma gets the ball back up 11 and this is where Oklahoma catches a, a bit of a break, I think. They call targeting against Trey Sterling when he blows up Charleston Rambo. And I thought that was kind of a tough one because, you know, real time, I I guess I can see it. But I kind of thought when they slowed it down and the, they replayed it, it kind of looked like he was going more for Rambo's shoulder. But, you know, it does kind of look like there's some helmet-to-helmet contact. You got to – no, that, I mean, actually, that, I thought that one was – if you're the OSU D-bet, you can't, you can't make that play in that way. They're trying to get high hits out of the game, and he went up yeah. high. It's just I, that's absolutely one hundred percent targeting. I mean, I've seen higher. I've seen like more blatant helmet to helmet, and it just really didn't. It didn't look that blatant to me. It, there was a little bit of contact, but it's just I don't it's know. not. It, it's it's. I'm starting to get to the point where I I'm I'm starting to lose a little sympathy for the defensive players on these. It's not hard. They just they don't want you to go high. That's it. And that guy went high. He did for sure. Mm-hmm. All you got, all you got to do is 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 make a is make a real fundamental tackle there, and you're fine. Well, I think Heward made the point on the broadcast that the with the rules they're trying to change the strike zone, and they want people to go lower, obviously. And so, as opposed to going high, you know, go through your shoulder pads through the guy's chest, or you know, that's the idea behind it. Yeah, I, the know, guy I, made guy I made a good play was, by recognizing, yeah. you know, by 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 identifying the play and, and closing quick on it. But you you, you got to go lower. That's just that's what the rules of the game are are, are now. 
And I'm like, it's it's one of those things now. Whenever OU is called is called for targeting, and it's just it's something that frustrates me because these guys know it now. You you, you cannot go high no matter what you do. Just don't do it. So that could have been a big momentum shift for Oklahoma State. It would have been second down and long. Instead, it's first down. Trey Sterling's gone, who I think is one of their better safeties. Later in that drive, and uh, maybe the let's see. I'm trying to think of all of Jalen Hurts' throws. There weren't many. He only attempted 16 passes. The one to Basquin, the one, the over route to Morris is a nice throw. But this third down and five completion to Nick Basquin, I thought, for a first down was maybe his best throw of the night because he threw the ball outside away from where the defender was playing against Basquin, and he kind of led Basquin away from the defender. And it was a nice play, nice throw by Hurts, good third down conversion to bring up, obviously, a first and ten. And then that led to more domination with the GT counter where Kennedy Brooks continues his dominant night, patient, spins away from a tackle at the line of scrimmage, breaks another shoestring tackle attempt, and then gets a first down inside the four-yard line. It's a a great follow-up drive by Oklahoma after the defense forced a turnover on downs, and then it was a couple plays later after that nice Brooks run that they got the incredibly easy touchdown pass to Braden Willis to make it a 34-16 game. Your thoughts on that whole sequence? It's just a good drive. A good drive to end the game, essentially. That's what they did. So, um, no, I just, I, how many, how many carries did Kennedy Brooks get in the game? 22. You should add more. <laughs> should add more. Um, and I know I'm like, I know we're, we're kind of, no, I mean, I had no problem. I mean, the, the game, everything was just incredibly well done. Uh, yeah. There's... I mean, every, pretty much everything they were doing in the run game was working, but it's like, just handing the ball to Kennedy Brooks was working literally 100% of the time. Like, they didn't stop him once. Okay, yeah, but you have to have some semblance of unknowingness on the other end of the ball, uh, other, other side of the ball. That's why you got to, every once in a while, do something a little bit different. I mean, if they no, I understand that concept. the same play over and over again, I understand that concept, it's not going to work but every time. At some point in time, you're just a whole lot better than the other guys in front of you. And what, what, what do you think? you think? You think Wisconsin confuses people? You freaking kidding me? I mean, they ran the ball more than double the amount of times Hurts threw it. So, I mean, they ran the ball all night long. I know. So I'm just, like I'm just saying it was I, – I, I'm just trying to hammer home how dominant of a, of a performance it was in the run game is all. I, I'm, I'm just trying to make the point that if they wanted to, if they wanted to run it every single time just between the tackles, they would have had success. They were that much better than Oklahoma State on Saturday night. That's 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 my point. Is no, no, they would not have if they would just ran the ball every single time. They would have they would have stopped having as much success because Oklahoma State would have been like, oh, they're literally doing the same thing over. Okay, we're gonna really stuff the ball because going into the game, Oklahoma State was actually not too bad at stopping the run this year. They would have kind of figured something out. They were getting them on the edges between the tackles. It wasn't there as much as it was on the edge. I just told you that OU didn't have a gain of less than two yards until the very last until the very last drive of the game. You can't seriously think that if they just ran the ball between the tackles every single play that they would have just continued to run the ball down the field and Were we watching the same no game? problems. That this is this is Division One college football. If Oklahoma like, State came out with the same three down line, nah. <laughs> no, they weren't stopping OU on the ground at all. All right. Well uh, teams get stopped if they keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Unless you're like Army and it's a, it's Oklahoma from twenty eighteen. Uh no, that's the case. That's the case if you're playing a, a defense that has a lot of really good players. Oklahoma State doesn't. 
Oklahoma State's got some good players on defense. They absolutely do. Yeah, they got they some got decent really college players. OU's got Diga NFL Diga. guys all, all up and down their offensive line. We don't know. I mean, there's they've replaced four NFL guys, and they have four brand-new guys there this year. We don't know how NFL-ready any of these guys are yet. That's way too early to talk about that stuff. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll go we back and one, revisit We know this. one guy is an NFL guy for sure. And outside of that, we'll see. I mean, probably. I mean, I'm based on Bill Biedenboe's track record, they're going to get shots. There's no doubt about Hayes, that. Hayes, Humphrey, Ely, for, for certain, are going to be NFL guys. So Oklahoma makes it 34-16. Then the defense steps up again. And back-to-back plays of just phenomenal short yardage. And that's the key. Short yardage run defense. We had a third and two. Oklahoma was able to hold Chuba Hubbard for a one-yard gain. And then on fourth and one, Oklahoma State going for it again, obviously, down by multiple scores in the fourth quarter. You get Nick Benito, you get Kenneth Murray into the backfield, stopping Chuba Hubbard for no gain. And, you know, it's far from perfect, no question, but Oklahoma's defense has already come such a long way from being that automatic first down for opposing offenses if you get the Sooners to – it was always third down and short. There was no no chance Oklahoma was going to get off the field. No, we didn't see not not just one, but two times, third down and two, Oklahoma prevented Oklahoma State from getting a first down. And that was a second straight turnover and down uh, turnover on downs in the game. It's Oklahoma State's not a world beating team. Oklahoma State's a lot better this season than I thought the Cowboys would be. Sure, Spencer Sanders wasn't there, but it's something. It was fun to watch, and it's good to see the defense not being an easy, an easy th- conversion on third and short in a game when if Oklahoma State would have converted there, it still wouldn't have been the end of the world for Oklahoma because the defense still, in theory, could have allowed two more scores and still would have been fine. But yet, it didn't matter what the score was. Oklahoma's defense still balled out and got off the field. That's good stuff. I... The thing that impressed me the most about that sequence was was the fourth down play. Is Kenneth Murray meeting Chuba Hubbard in the hole and just stopping him, stopping him dead in his tracks? It was more on uh, Benito. Had yeah, Benito did a good job, but at the same time, how often do we see how often do we see Kenneth Murray meet a running back in the hole <laughs> right. and then and then drive him backwards? We yeah, don't. Did we don't see that. Great ever. job. And yeah, so hats off. He did a great job. And Oklahoma. The offense, I think they punted after that, and uh, so gave Oklahoma's defense a chance to get one more play. And then Parnell Motley comes up, continues his exceptional game. Uh, first of all, he shadows Dylan Stoner on a go route early in the drive that forces an incompletion. There is no opening, no chance for Oklahoma State. A uh, bit of a double move by Stoner, and Motley was there, no problem. And then later in the drive, he caps everything off, gets that interception should have been his third interception of the game instead or wait no I'm sorry should have been his second interception of the game his third takeaway instead officially Motley gets two takeaways one pick one fumble recovery and we talked about earlier he's defensive player of the week in the big 12 Uh, another game grant where essentially Oklahoma's ending things with a a defensive play and I know Oklahoma got the ball back and, and ran the clock out but it's good stuff the defense is getting confidence yeah yeah. Um, right. Good time of year for it. Jeez, man. How uh, how frustrated were you that OU couldn't score on that last drive? Yeah. Especially after I see I didn't see how that last drive ended live. So I was watching it back. It was the first time. 
and I was watching it kind of on mute, and I saw Ramondre get that touchdown after he had that explosive long run too. I was like, oh man, this is it's over. I mean, Oklahoma State's done. And then the holding call on Hayes wiped it off the board. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, forty-one sixteen certainly does look a lot better than thirty-four sixteen. But and Riley seeing the was sixteen next to Oklahoma State. That's I'll take it. Riley was hot on those last two drives too. Um, he was upset about the penalties and that was just derailed the drives. But I guarantee you he was hot because he knew. He knew they needed more points. It helps. It certainly helps. Yep. I mean, they they did a lot. I mean, compared to the last three games, they did a lot more in this one, though. They won. They got some margin. They covered the spread. Yeah, they don't. won on the road and gave up, gave up less than 20 points for the first time since they allowed, what was it, I think maybe 16 to West Virginia in mid-October. Yeah, don't get me wrong here. I, I thought, you know, I thought this was a pretty dominant performance. This was the best game OU has played since since Texas, for sure. Um, it just it's 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 just sort of the crazy no, since thing. Since West Virginia, since yeah, but, yeah, I point. suppose. But I mean, West Virginia is you know terrible. So, um, I uh, I just yeah, I I'm I'm frustrated that they weren't able to make it a you know look a little more stylistic. That's all right though. But if if any if any member of the committee was watching the game, that I mean that was a butt kicking. They they physically dominated Oklahoma State and OSU just really never had much of a chance. It it kind of felt like over the course of the game. All right, so that's the game. You mentioned that you wanted to kind of talk about some of the content I had in the opening take about complimentary football and the new identity or so. These are my words, not yours. So what were your thoughts on all of that? I think it's pretty clear over the last – I used the 10 quarters metric after halftime at Baylor that there's been a shift in what Lincoln Riley is trying to do, not just with – well, it's mainly with the offense, but it's also with the idea of helping out the defense as much as possible too, and I like it. I like what I'm seeing. It's not the big-time explosive Oklahoma offense that we've seen the last couple of years, but it's a, it's a formula that – I mean, there's certainly there's been some close games with the exception it's been just of, as efficient though sure yeah it's it's he's trying something new and he's he's molding his his strategy and the way he's calling games based on what he has in that locker room which shows me that he he's a pretty darn good coach he's and a he's he's evolving he's he's getting more experience and he, he's learning I like it so yeah, what, so what do you think? Yeah, no, what what the offense has shown the last handful of games, and really it's been since I don't know the second half against Baylor, right? Um, they've they've been doing kind of what I expected them to do coming into this season. I I, I, I sort of was wondering if 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 Riley would would evolve into sort of a power run game, and if you've if you've been on if you've been on Twitter or anything like that, a lot of people have have kind of thrown out the the Colin Klein. Um, uh, sort of, sort of references, as in this OU offense looks a whole heck of a lot, just kind of like an overpowered Colin Klein Kansas State offense, and I kind of agree with that. That 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 is really what they look like, and they're just running at a much higher level than Kansas State ever was. Um, but really, the thing I wanted to get at Lee was OU has shifted in in November of this game or uh, of this season. They look like Wisconsin. That's how they're winning games right now. They're just doing it by a big offensive line, just leaning on their opponent in the run game, and just hope that they're just really tired in the fourth quarter and they can't keep up. 
And that's exactly what they've done. And of course, this stylistically, it's different. Wisconsin's going to get under center and they're going to put a fullback out there. Um, OU is going to be uh, is, is going to be in the shotgun and they're still going to have a fullback and a running back and whatnot. They're just going to do it a little differently. But in the way that those two teams want to win games, almost identical right now. And I, ju- I just think that's interesting is all. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, what Oklahoma does have, though, is they have that ability to to pop those big plays because they have yeah. a lot more talent on the outside than Wisconsin's ever had. And Absolutely. they have a more creative offensive mind that can can scheme up certain things that was a Wisconsin offense is just not going to be able to scheme up. But generally, yeah, it's I was thinking today when I was driving around and thinking about this podcast, and I hate to admit it, I was like, gosh, is this kind of like a Big Ten team? I know you kind of yes. mentioned Oklahoma turned into a Big Ten team for what? What was the game? Or was it the Baylor game? Baylor game. Half? Yeah. And yeah, it's uh, I, I hate to even entertain that idea, but it's certainly a lot more of a one hundred percent. That's how they're playing this year. And well, it's really know, been for the most uh, for the most part the last few games. I mean, they they've really I think Riley's finally embraced it for the most part. And you uh, there's know, a I lot think, of Jalen Hurts carrying it a lot more maybe than he, he needed to or should have. But uh, yeah, it's for whatever reason it's it's kind of started to click. I think that's where this team can reach their ceiling. I think that's the best version of this team. Um, and yeah, I'm interested to see where it's going to go. Um, I mean, are they going to beat those? Are they going to beat the LSU's, Ohio State's, and Clemson's of the world playing like that? Certainly not. But they can definitely win the Big Twelve playing like that. Don't you find it fascinating though that after all these games, twelve regular season games, and the way Oklahoma's offense has been playing the last two, three games, and I talked about in the opening take that over the last 10 quarters, they're only averaging 6.2 yards per play. OU still is by far leading the nation in yards per play, even more than LSU. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, that's kind of a... That's been a bit of a misleading stat. Is, is there anyone out there who, who thinks OU's offense is better than LSU's? I probably it just not. isn't. No, no most no certainly way. is not. No. But it's just, it's crazy. Like, I mean, every, I think of LSU, I think of just incredibly explosive plays like Oklahoma has been the last few years with Mayfield and Murray, but yet they're still not even at eight yards per play somehow. And it's not like, oh, you can't say, oh, the SEC defense. Like, no, I mean, these SEC defenses haven't seen anything like this before, and LSU is shredding them because this is new and different, and they have really good players executing it and a smart coaching staff that's installed it and is doing something to the SEC that hasn't ever really seen before. And anybody out there that's smarter than I am that has more history, again, I'll bring up Steve Spurrier because I know he was a – big offensive guy back in the 90s so you know maybe it was kind of like that I don't know I don't have that that sort of wealth of knowledge but anything certain that I can remember I mean this is it's really fun to watch that team play but we're getting getting a bit of a digression Uh, no need to talk about LSU right now we're still on Oklahoma let's see anything else from the game I I have in my notes here too it's kind of nice not to have to sweat a game out for the first time since the middle of October so that was kind of nice to kind of take the the foot off the gas pedal and kind of relax for the final probably almost the final the final quarter yeah Is that I, nice for you yeah I definitely appreciated that after the game that I witnessed you know leading up to that so yeah let's see leading up to the game you didn't have a chance to comment on Mike Gundy's quotes about how Oklahoma is a, a triple option team disguised as a spread team I don't know if you heard those yeah quotes. I, heard, you probably I saw that. saw the Twitter and so after the He's game, right. Riley was asked about that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like Riley was asked about that. He said that, you know, he wasn't. A, he didn't really agree with the 
he's a one man show type thing. So Riley didn't agree with that, but he said that calling Oklahoma a wishbone offense. Riley said that that comment he thought was a compliment because the wishbone is one of the great offenses ever in college football. And Riley said that it means that you're spreading the ball around to a lot of people. So just in case anyone you were wondering, didn't hear Riley after the game, he actually thought that for the most part, that was a compliment by Mike Gundy. And it was, I mean, I don't think Gundy was saying anything negative about Oklahoma. He was just bringing no, up Gundy's kind of not, an interesting he was, point. Yeah. He was playing mind games. Mm-hmm. He definitely was. There was no, there, there was no like bad motive there at all. He's just, he's trying to win the game and get an OU's head. Let's see. So just to recap, here are the players that stood out to me. I thought had really good games. Parnell Motley, Brendan Radley Hiles, both of the rush linebackers, like Benito and Agwebu, were both darn good. Interior linemen, I didn't make any specific notes about them. Uh, I think I noticed Gallimore getting pushed off the ball a decent amount, but I think he's being double teamed a lot earlier in the game, which is not surprising. But I think for the most part, I, th- I think the interior line must have played okay, and and Kenneth Murray was was good. Uh, so defensively, those are the guys. Offensively, obviously, you got Kennedy Brooks, really good game. Jalen Hurts, I thought, played really well. The entire offensive line and Nick Basquin, I thought, was really good in that game. Any, you want to recap who you thought had good games? No, I think that that basically that basically uh, caps it. I, I just thought R.J. Proctor had a really nice game. Um, Kennedy Brooks, obviously, um, Hurts was was fine, I guess for the most part. He was steady. He was more, definitely more of a game manager on Saturday night. Um, I mean, I heard Hertz did. I thought he was great. He did exactly what the game plan asked of him. He didn't do too much. Didn't turn the ball over. Made a couple of good throws when he needed to. And yeah, he was a game manager. Did a Brooks good job when he needed to. So yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Let's see. All right, want to do some three word reviews? Yeah. Got a lot of them, and not surprisingly, after a game like that, bedlam. Actually, real quick before we get to three word reviews, I want to give credit to. Derek on Twitter at Derek Kendall nine during the game he mentioned or he brought up Jalen Hurts catching that touchdown pass and he referenced a while back and I do remember this but he got a screenshot for me to to help me out Uh, you know for a while like a while ago like seven weeks ago Derek said hey do you guys think that Lincoln Riley was running a scheme to get Jalen Hurts a passing, rushing, and receiving touchdown in a single game because I can't remember what game this was, but he was pretty close to getting one. Would you, would you recall? So that might have been West Virginia maybe or maybe even uh, maybe Texas. I don't know. So Derek wanted to bring up the fact that uh, he brought that up earlier in the year and then, boom, Jalen Hurts does get that. I, I don't remember. I remember Wait, seeing your comment. Did he have a rushing touchdown? Hurts, yeah, he did. Yeah, the first oh, that's right. The yeah, the long one, first for, for first drive. Yeah, yeah. So he got a rushing touchdown, a passing touchdown, and a receiving touchdown. I, I mean, I don't know if that's something that Lincoln Riley is thinking. Oh, we got to get this for Jalen Hurts, or if it's just the way the game played out. But just wanted to give Derek credit for acknowledging that seven weeks ago, and then it actually happening in Bedlam. That I mean, things like this for whatever reason to me, like I don't. I hear that. I think, oh, that's interesting, but I don't really think much more of it. Like, there might have been a stat out there. Like, I think it might have happened one other time or, but okay. And then I kind of just move on because it's just kind of such a random thing. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but it's just, to no, me, it's not really. like, oh, that's neat. 
It's cool. Good for him. It's cool. Yeah. Man, I, remember Jalen Hurts played some receiver for Bama last year. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's right. He came into what the if we see Bowl. OU make the playoff and then Riley just comes out against Ohio State with just an absurd amount of tricks? Like uh, with I mean, geez, like they bring like Spencer Rattler out there, and then you got you got Hertz lined up at receiver, and you got that'd be fun. Might as well, it? might as well, might as yeah. well. So good call, Derek, calling that seven weeks ago, and it happened. All right, now to three word reviews. I'll start on Facebook here. Allen's got a couple. Most complete game. Parnell takes over. Interesting one from Shane. I kind of like this. Motley Crew defense. That was my favorite one. one. Yeah. Nice job from Shane. Uh, Tim says complete team effort. Barry says Grinch changes culture. A lot of credit to what Alex Grinch has done. Obviously, there it hasn't been perfect, but this defense is so much better than it was a year ago, and it's starting to to play with a lot more confidence right now. No doubt about that. Tracy on Facebook, there is hope. And Tracy, I, I you know I noticed your comments here and there. You, you, sometimes you're you're a bit negative, so it's nice to see a, a bit of a positive three word review from Tracy. Hopefully, you're feeling good about the game. I want to say I just I, I just I just want to comment just kind of where we are as a fan base, and this this is something this is. Like every you know fan base of a blue blood deals with stuff like this, but Tracy comes out and says there is hope, and OU just went eleven and one for the regular season for the third straight year. They're about to play in the Big Twelve title game. It's uh, hey man, there's a standard here. Hey, it's being being upset, you know, of being of being eleven and one or losing a game when you're like this. That's a privilege. It really is, and um. I don't know. We're it's I I kind of have like a really interesting perspective on it because I'm sitting I'm I'm you know an alum of of a Minnesota Golden Gopher team here who uh, who just lost a disappointing game on Saturday and people are pissed here and it's just like it's great it's it's like just welcome to big time college football guys like yeah good for them yeah you start yeah you you start kind of second guessing every decision you you know you're you're like geez man pj fleck is an idiot he made these really terrible decisions and he's completely turned the program around it's just like <laughs> yeah this stuff is it's it's a it's it's a privilege it's fun this is what makes college football fun justin's got quite a bit on facebook here i'll pick a couple of them out chuba was contained i said that was the the main key that's why i couldn't give a strong you know gambling pick in that game because Basically, it was if you told me that Oklahoma was able to contain and slow down Chuba Hubbard, similar to what West Virginia did, I'd you know take Oklahoma and, and and swallow the points. I think Oklahoma that's the key to Oklahoma winning comfortably, and that's what happened. And I don't think that's a incredibly in depth take. I think that's a anybody that watched the way the West Virginia game played out, and you see that Chuba Hubbard is not going to get the kind of running room without Spencer Sanders there. I think it just it just made sense, and it was nice to see Oklahoma for the most part handle Chuba Hubbard. Let's see. No heart problems. Another good one from Justin. The heart has been uh, <laughs> on overdrive the last few weeks. That's pretty good. No offensive turnovers. That's a good one. Won the turnover battle for sure. And I like this one. Fourth down stands. Let's see. So that's all from Facebook. Uh, quite a bit on Twitter. A lot on Twitter. If- you get a lot on Twitter there, Lee. Yeah, do you, do you look at them? Yeah, I got them. Yeah, yeah I got them all up. pulled up here. All right, start running, start running through some of them that you like. All right, so so Ben says pay Alex Grinch. 
I think they already did that. But yeah, I mean, if we want to give them a little more money, I'm okay with that too. Uh, my buddy Adam, he says, great teams cover. <laughs> I agree. They definitely do. Um, Oki JB says, Kennedy outrushes Chuba. Indeed, he did. Let's see here. Ned says, complete Bedlam win. And then he says, 89, 18, and 7, which of course, which is the record, of course, in Bedlam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's see what else we got here. Brian says, just beat Baylor. Be nice to beat them again. Uh, Mark says, "Typical bedlam outcome." Am I? It, I actually want. I want kind of some listeners to to reach out on social media or something like that. Am I the only one who doesn't really look at Oklahoma State as a huge rival? They just like I. I've never, and I, I think it is because I don't live in the state. But I just like they just. I have no hate for Oklahoma State. They just they don't really show up on my radar, and I don't say that to be disrespectful. It's just kind of the truth. That's a good question. Uh, my knee-jerk reaction to that would be, no, you're not the only one. But because I'm kind of the same as you, I it, it's it's because of that record. I mean, it's it's so one-sided, and yeah, I, I don't have anything against Oklahoma State either. I really don't. I I mean, because like, I, I mean, even I like, like Chuba Hubbard a lot. When I Ar- think Spencer Sanders yeah, I is really good. I, and I, I like I really like Tylen Wallace. Mike Gundy, he's hit and miss with oh, me. I, I mean, like he Mike Gundy like, a lot. Okay, he's Sometimes they'll do things that make me scratch my head, uh, like the whole thing with the media last year where he didn't want the guys to ask questions about um, Jalen McCleskey and being in a transfer portal, but then he said he didn't say that. And it was just, it was really weird. It was a, a way for and him When to, you're under the microscope, kind of at all times, I'm sure he just had a human moment, I'm sure. I mean, and he was frustrated about it. Well, I mean, that's the first one that comes to my mind, but I know there's been other examples of just kind of like, what do you... But no, I, but, I just... Oklahoma State, just I just don't have a lot of vitriol there. And like that 2011 team that got upset at, at Iowa State and should have played in the national title game, like I liked, I really liked that team. That's one. That's that's I think that that's one of the most entertaining college football teams I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and heck, I just met Brandon Whedon the other day before Bedlam, and he was a really nice guy, or is a really nice guy. So, so it, I don't know. I'm sure there's that 2011 there, team. There's probably yeah. some listeners and just being like, "What on earth are you guys talking about?" But I don't know. I just like when Art Briles was at Baylor, there was much more of a rivalry with Baylor in my mind than there was with Oklahoma State at that time. Let's see. I got a couple from Twitter I'm looking at here. Skip always provides a bunch of three word reviews, so I'll go through a couple of his. Motley, two INTs, and he has like exclamation points and question marks. Yeah, it should have been two. It should have been two. It wasn't. Ogwebu was awesome. Yeah, David Ogwebu was really good. And. Credit to Ogwebu and Nick Benito kind of getting more comfortable, filling that role at rush linebacker. I know Alex Rinch talked about those guys after the game a bit and brought up John Michael Terry. And, again, that's the loss that was and how those guys have, you know, they basically had to get moved up the pecking order. So good job by those guys playing some good football right now. Uh, more from Skip. He says, Gundy's slow-mo mullet. <laughs> uh, pretty good stuff. Let's and see here. Um L.A. Sooner says the refs suck. I agree. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a very well-officiated game in, in my mind. I, I don't know. I, it's just... But, you know, referees suck in every sport. Like, there's really not a sport where, where they're good. Any sport. So, um, also, shout-out to L.A. Sooner. I used to I used to love your videos, man, back in the day. So, <laughs> if, if you are listening, I just want just to point that out. Jim says, one-man show. 
obviously referencing Gundy's press conference from last Monday. Baker Baker says, outstanding, just outstanding. <laughs> like that. Uh, Gabe at WX Gabe says, wind swept mullet. The mullet ones are pretty creative. I like those. Uh, let's see. Billy at TX Born Sooner says, thank you, Grinch, in all caps. Yeah, it's the way some of the games, you know, I mentioned Kansas State, Iowa State, obviously the first half of Baylor. I mean, when the defense was not looking great, it's it's easy to kind of think, ah, man. But it's 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 nice that the defense has played a lot better the last 10 quarters. And I'm still a bit hesitant on Big 12 offenses kind of figuring out what Alex Grinch wants to do. But at the same time, we'll see what happens when he gets his recruits in, his guys in, and see how that changes. And say, that can be combated by having guys in the system for longer and just getting more mm -hmm. comfortable and just becoming better players as well. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's, that's where you want the talent because it wins out a majority of the time. I don't know if we've done this one yet, but Danny at got that OUDNA says red zone defense. Very nice Big one. Big time. That's how you play. Incredibly That's important. How you got to play defense in this era of football. You just sometimes it's okay just to allow the other team to get whatever they they need in between. You know, in between the twenties. But as soon as you get in that red zone, it's really important to hold them to field goals. And they were able to do that. Nathan got a more on the defense. Says defense wins. <clears throat> excuse me. Defense wins championships. Sooner born, sooner bred. Says Sooners were prepared. That they were. Uh, Terry referencing Mike Gundy, wishbone in disguise. I like that. More of your three-word reviews on Twitter. SC Sooner says, committee better recognize. That's a good one. Oklahoma certainly got a bit of a mulligan, I think, Grant, against TCU, not getting margin in that game, obviously with Oregon losing. So getting some margin against Oklahoma State and, again, holding – the Cowboys to fewer than 20 points. Another touchdown would have been nice for Oklahoma, but Oklahoma, they, again, if the playoff is what the Sooners want, they needed to do what Oklahoma did against Oklahoma State. They could not have settled for a close win in that game. And I know a lot of people out there just think that if Oklahoma just wins out, beats Baylor, they're going to be in. It's it's not going to be that simple, gang. I just, I don't think it is. They have to impress this committee, and it was an impressive win over Oklahoma State. Could it have been better? Yes, but it wasn't what we saw against TCU. Did you kind of have that same feeling? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I, and, I mean, and, and you kind of referenced Riley too earlier about how he was kind of hot about them not getting that. Yeah, we touchdown. can. I, I just because Utah is ahead of Oklahoma in the rankings right now because they're blowing out a bunch of teams. That's the only reason why. Yep. So and they're holding teams to seven points, and I know they're not very good teams, but that's that means no, something. they are I mean, not. <laughs> I mean, wasn't Utah down seven nothing to Colorado, and then ended up winning what by four or five touchdowns? So yeah, I mean, they still yeah they still won by thirty. So yeah, I Josh mean, Utah is good. Yeah. I I yeah. I I think Utah is legitimately really good. I think they're better than the Washington team that went to the playoffs a few years ago, out of the Pac-12. But they they mm. just we don't know for sure because mm, they just really haven't played anyone good. Yeah. Uh, Josh has quite a bit here on on uh, Twitter, but I, I like this one the most. Parnell Motley, bang! <laughs> I do like that That's one. That's a good one. <laughs> um, let's see. Trying to get to all the good ones. How about this? I don't, we might talk about this more on the, the next podcast before Baylor. At SB Coach McFall says, CD looks frustrated. 
he did seem to have some body language things where they would focus on him and he kind of looked a bit indifferent sometimes in that game. I believe on the Monday presser, I think CD Lamb came up a bit. I again, I just looking at some tweets. I haven't gone in to watch the whole thing, so I'll watch it back. But yeah, I I did kind of get that vibe watching the game back that there was maybe some moments where CD kind of wasn't kind of feeling it. Uh, that doesn't mean I don't think he's still like a massive team guy. I mean, the dude loves to go out and block and things like that. But yeah, I mean, this kind of new identity certainly isn't getting him as involved as he probably would have liked, and what he's like he's been the last two years with guys like Mayfield and Murray throwing in the ball. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, he, I don't, I don't really want to go in, you know, in, inside the head of, you know, another human being, but yeah, his body language looks a little frustrated. Well, body language says a lot. Sure. I mean, yeah. Um, and who knows? I mean, that could all change if, you know, if he goes for 150 and three touchdowns on Saturday. Thing is, he's always there. He's still there. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, he's, the fact that he's there, he has that ability. I mean, the ball gets in his hands. It's just, look out. It's also entirely possible that OU knew they were, you know, they were going to they were gonna run the ball 80% of the time just because of the sure. wind on Saturday sure. night. You know, Rick Bradley did say the wind was a factor in the passing game and the kicking game. I was surprised CD didn't score on that end around. I thought he would try to go for the corner, and he tried to cut it up inside. Maybe he was trying to get a little too cute there, but I thought he had enough speed to get to the corner there before Braden Willis's touchdown catch. But oh well. Let's see. Trying to get through a couple more. Uh, not more of same says review overturn wrong. And we all agree with that. Uh, Trey says Ducks fan now, <laughs> and also beat the Bears. So obviously looking ahead to call uh, the conference championship weekend. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, the the it's laid out pretty much for Oklahoma. I mean, if Oregon beats Utah, OU beats Baylor, and then LSU beats Georgia, I mean, OU's in the playoff again. And it could play out differently, and Oklahoma still could get in, but we'll see. We'll talk about that more at some other point. It's kind of a long podcast. Uh, interesting from Will, kind of a bit pessimistic. Will says, committee won't care. Maybe. You went to the Grant School of Pessimism. <laughs> um, I You know, actually, I'm not sure about this one. I... I think there's there's definitely a non-zero chance that the committee even bumps OU ahead of Utah this week, but we'll see. Oh, I don't anticipate Oklahoma being above Utah. I'm not anticipating it. I just said there's a non-zero chance because... Oh, gotcha. um And of course, I mean, Iowa State losing just really doesn't help OU at all. Um, in fact, it hurts them quite a bit. But well, that might jump Kansas State into the top 25, so... They don't have a win over leaves. Kansas State. Doesn't matter. Yeah, well, it'll make that loss look a little better. Better than Utah's loss to is USC going to be ranked? Yes, they will. Did they beat US, U, uh, US, who? They beat or were they off? They had a buy, I think. No, they beat you. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, they did have a buy. I think their last game was against uh, was against UCLA two weeks ago. Hmm. Okay. So, um, no, I, I just I think Iowa State. I mean, that's that's a top twenty five team uh, win that's gone for OU right there. So, um, but really, I, yeah, I mean, if we're comparing resumes, it's just. Utah's is not going to stack up against OU's at all. Um, but also at the same time, OU's resume is like not exquisite or anything. So um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's all going to come down to if OU can beat Baylor again, what do they value more? Do they value the win, the, the two wins over Baylor and the road win over Oklahoma State? Um, or do they, do they value Utah beating up on crappy teams? That's basically what it's going to be. All right. The last one from Twitter. We'll wrap up three word reviews with Warren. Warren, uh, 
loyal listener to the podcast and also a loyal three-word review lever. I'm not sure if that's the right way to put it. He says, complimentary football defined. And I think that's a good way to to bring it all full circle because I agree. I think that's exactly what they're going for. And I think that was a perfect example of, of complimentary football on Saturday night. Let's see. We're about 90-ish minutes in. Let's see. The plan for the rest of the week is we're going to record the next podcast on Wednesday night, gang. And since they... Uh, Oklahoma, that is, just played Baylor somewhat recently. I don't know how long that one's going to be. So, what are you feeling, Grant? Should we? Do you want to dive into any other? I mean, you, you, we briefly went over a little bit of playoff stuff there. I don't have a whole lot of thoughts on it right now. We can wait on it. I don't. You. I don't think we can say anything about it until the until the rankings come out tomorrow night. Really, um, once the rankings come out, we're going to know exactly what needs to happen. I think. Um, so we'll okay. we'll see. I, I don't. I'm I'm not as upset about this anymore. Um, just because I I do kind of have a feel of what the committee is doing, even though they ha- they don't have metrics for any of the stuff that they do. But I think they've I've I've un- I've uncovered what they're doing this year, and so they very obviously up to this point they value all of those Utah blowouts much more than OU's better wins. Um, and do I think that should be the case? No, not really. But I think um, they're just they've been waiting for Oklahoma to give them something. That's what I think. They're just they're wait. Hey, guys, give us something, man. We need to see some dominance. And that's why I've been saying for weeks, they got to get margin. They got to look good in these games. And, you know, a margin big TCU win would have been a lot better right now. They didn't get it, but they got a mulligan with Oregon losing. It's a better looking win over Oklahoma State. If they can have a nice win over a really good Baylor team. By the way, I, I mentioned this on the podcast when you weren't here. I'm starting to kind of think that. That yeah, with Baylor's defense, that might it might be a top top defense, top ten defense. So I'm starting God, to kind of course it is jive with you more. <laughs> We're seeing some more evidence. That's one of the better defenses I've seen in the Big Twelve in the last decade. They're really good on defense. So that'll be an interesting game for sure. And and Baylor's going to be uh, you know solid top ten team. Obviously, the committee basically was admitting last week that hey yeah, Baylor's pretty good. We we've had them kind of low, but no, they're actually pretty darn good team. Let's see. I guess I did have one more note in the rundown here that it's from the Monday press conference. And again, I haven't watched all of Lincoln Riley's comments from Monday, but this was interesting. We didn't talk about this at all. I didn't notice this on the rewatch, but Jalen Redmond didn't travel to Bedlam. Apparently, it's unrelated to the blood clots, but it is a medical issue. And Riley says that he is questionable for the Baylor game. So that's not ideal. No, it's not. And I have so we're not going to find out anything about it until about 10 a.m. on s- Saturday, probably when they start warming up. That's right. Yeah, the Big Twelve title game is always with the 11 a.m. kick, isn't it? It's, it's not always. One. No, it's just that's just what kind of is now. I think is what the networks the, pick. Uh, well, because they, they were the. Uh, I think since the Big Twelve was kind of the last one to get a championship game recently, I think they kind of get slotted into that 11 a.m time slot because the big 10 always gets that prime time spot because yeah it's they I think they're abc uh, has the rights this year and they're going to put it on at 11 because that's when the most eyes are going to be watching it because the sec title game at 230 which is one of the most watched football games of the year college or pro and then oh, okay. and then the and then the big 10 title game at seven so they don't want that they don't want ou on at 630 on espn that's when that's when the clemson game is so yeah it's just 11 a.m is just is just the national slot that they're in so and you know what 
11 a.m. games are way better than night games in my mind. So I will take that any day. Well, after playing four straight night games, we're back to 11 a.m. kicks for Oklahoma football. In case you forgot, OU played one, two, three, four, five straight 11 a.m. kicks in the middle portion of the season. Let's see. I think that about does it. So, again, the plan will be for us to record the next pod leading up to the Big 12 title game on Wednesday night. So expect it in your podcast players by Thursday. Apologies for a late release for this podcast, but hopefully you guys still enjoyed it. Gave you a solid 90 minutes of content. Thanks again for all the three-word reviews. And as always, thanks for the support. And you know what? If you're listening this long, that means that you really do enjoy this podcast. So I'll throw this one out there to Grant. I haven't told Grant this yet. So Grant, our sister and mom... We're going to Best Buy on Friday, on Black Friday, and in Oklahoma City. So we walk in, and immediately this guy comes up to me and says, hey, are, are you Lee Benson? And I have no idea who this guy is. And I said, yeah. And he said, man, I love, he said, <laughs> sorry, I'm having a tough time. This is just so like random to me, but he said, man, I listened to your podcast. I love your podcast. <laughs> Funny. So, someone, someone came up to me in Minnesota and said the exact same thing. What? I'm kidding. No, of course that didn't happen. Someone actually <laughs> came up to you? So, And you're going to remember this. His name is Josh, and he said that his brother, who lives in Washington, D.C., got him onto it, and he left us a review on iTunes a while back, and I think we, we mentioned it on the show. And so, you know, Josh is obviously in Oklahoma City for probably you know, Thanksgiving and with family and things like that and just ran into him. And so that was an interesting thing. And I well, told him really that you cool. were getting back, from Thanksgiving, uh, getting back from Vegas and you'd be on the next podcast. And he was like, all right, cool. And Jeez, I said, man, I enjoy you, the game. You shouldn't have mm-hmm. gone up to Lee and done that. You're just going to feed his ego and it's just going to, oh, man. <laughs> So, yeah, but, um, no, I mean, that's, that's really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that, uh, it's taken hold at least a little bit. Um, one more thing. Oh, go ahead. uh, I was going to say that it's the first time I've been recognized for the podcast and that's not saying I get recognized much at all for working at news nine because I really don't to be honest with you, but that was just, it was, I didn't see it coming and Josh, great meeting you and say hi to your brother for us. And thanks for listening to the show. What's your last thing? I was just going to say, I kind of wanted to bring up, um, just because, you know, we got a, got, a, got a college football podcast here full of college football fans. Um, college game day on Saturday at, at, at oh, the yeah. University of Minnesota go? was really cool. Um, so that's, I think that's the fifth time I've been to game day. And that's, the, that's the very first time I've stayed for all three hours of it. Holy crap, man. It was packed. There was a... Way more people there than I've ever been at an OU game day. It was cool. Um, the one the one thing that I would say about it is that the weather, you, you couldn't even necessarily see it on TV. I, I, I did record it and kind of went back and watched some of it. The weather was absolutely miserable. It was awful. <laughs> it was awful. It was, um, it had just, it, it had just snowed the night before about like six inches. And then um, on Saturday morning, it was like low 30s. And we experienced every form of precipitation that morning. We got we got hail, 
We got little ice pellets. We got just heavy snow. We got rain. We got freezing rain. It was awful. Like my jacket actually ha- was encased in ice. So, um, yeah, and and actually watching and then watching the Gopher Wisconsin game on TV. On TV, you couldn't actually see how miserable and terrible the weather was. Um, so, so you didn't go to the game. Yeah, I went to the game. Oh, you did go to it the was game. Ter- it was awful. I was miserable the entire time. I was freezing. I was wet. Um, yeah, that was a game in which the weather absolutely did uh, did impact the final score. But um, yeah, I was walking to yeah uh, around. I don't know what, what time it would have been. Maybe around like five thirty or six, and just around uh, Stillwater to like kind of the next bar, and passing through some TVs, and I looked over and I just saw like a downpour of snow and I was like, is, Oh my gosh, is that the Minnesota game? And I saw the score and it was in the second half. And I thought, man, that's, that's too bad because obviously Minnesota is a pretty high level passing offense this year. And it's pretty difficult to do that in that kind of, that kind of weather. So yeah, and it was actually, it, was, it, was, it yeah. kind of sucked the way that it, it played out. The Gophers scored on like their third play of the game. It was a 50 yard bomb to Rashad Bateman. Um, and that was with the wind at their backs. And um, then after that, the weather started to get really bad. Like the rain started to pick up. The rain turned into ice, turned into sleet, turned into snow. Um, but for whatever reason, whenever Wisconsin had the wind at their backs, the precipitation freaking stopped every time. <laughs> and uh, they, they, they took advantage of it, took advantage of it. Wisconsin aired it out. That's why they won the game, because they threw the ball with the wind at their backs, and they, they won. So It is really too to bad that we're going to be – subjected to another Ohio State Wisconsin game I was really yeah, excited it's probably too strong of a word because I don't think Minnesota would be able to beat Ohio State but I really wanted to see Ohio State play against Minnesota just to see how that would go because uh, Minnesota would be easily the the best passing offense that the Buckeyes would have seen so far this year and I just yeah, they wouldn't have been able to block out. they wouldn't have been able to block Ohio State up front that's that was the problem yeah. against Wisconsin they just yeah that Wisconsin had a really interesting game plan, and I I thought it was good. I thought it was smart. They they pretty much just disregarded Minnesota's run game, which is smart because it's not a good run game. And they played bump and run coverage with safeties over the top the entire game, and they blitzed their outside linebackers on every single play. Oh, you and and uh, the Gophers could not could not handle it. Hmm. Well, uh. Good defensive game plan from uh, a former NFL safety and uh, but really in those situations, name, defensive coordinator in those situations, what you got to do if you're Minnesota is you just got to throw it up to your your first round receiver. That's what you have to do. <laughs> it's just and, and I it, it's it's something that I think you have to learn with reps and just and just being on the same page as the guy. Um, but that when we talk about pro style spread passing games being indefensible if they're executed. Uh, properly that's what we're talking about i just if a receiver has good position and they can go up and get the ball game over pretty much every single time and i mean geez that's how clemson beat alabama jim leonard by the way defensive coordinator for wisconsin all right that's it for today we'll be back later this week to talk all about the big 12 championship game and of course the latest college football playoff rankings until then for grant i am lee this is west of everest